Today, the title of this sermon is Faith Alone, Sola Fide. We're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 2, verses 16 to 21. Now, the first two solas are, are kind of like two sides of the same coin. Last week, we talked about how we are saved through grace alone, that God's unmerited favor is truly unmerited, and we can do nothing and have done nothing to deserve it. Today, we are looking at how we are saved by faith alone and not through the works of the law, as the Apostle Paul calls them. So last week, we explored how we cannot earn God's favor, and this week, we will be looking at how we cannot earn our salvation. Two different angles that make it incredibly clear that our salvation is not reliant on our good works, but on God's mercy and love and on the work of Christ. Again, our text this morning is Galatians chapter 2, verses 16 to 21. If you have your Bible with you, I encourage you to read along. If you don't, that's cool. The words will be on the screen. Paul writes this letter to the church in Galatia because this church that he planted, that he loves so very much, has started to become corrupted from the inside. People have, have come and tried to add amendments to the gospel, additions to the gospel. They have come and said that the work of Christ is good and all, like that, that's a good thing, it's a cool thing, but in order to be considered saved, in order to be part of the, of the family of God, there are a few things that you have to do on top of believing in Christ. Now these imposters were saying that you needed to do certain things that the Jewish people had been asked to do. So even if you are a Gentile, right, even if your ancestry was not Jewish, you still needed to do these certain things. You still needed to keep certain aspects of the law. And Paul is incensed by this. He's ticked off. And so he wrote this letter to the church in Galatia, and in it he spells out the fantastic truths of the gospel. And today we look at one of those truths. We find it again in Galatians 2, 16-21, where Paul makes it clear that it is not our work that saves us. It is not the good things that we do that keep us in good standing with God, but that it is faith alone. With that, we read the word of the Lord this morning. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Jesus Christ, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we find, or we Jews, find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Let's end the reading. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. 
So one of my favorite things to do with infants, or one of my favorite things about infants, I should say, is that they have is the faith that they have in their parents. Noah's still a little wobbly, so I can't quite get to that stage yet. But with each of my other children, they, they reach that, that stage in life where you can just hold them out like this, right? You just, you just hold them. They're just sitting on your hands. You just hold them out, ex- hands extended, and they're just chilling. Like they're totally cool. Everything is absolutely fine. They have 100% faith that you are not going to drop them. They don't really understand even what dropping them would mean at that point in time. They're just like, yeah, so this is life right now. I'm just hanging out in the outstretched arms of my parents. The faith of a child is a pretty wondrous thing. But then so is faith itself. Dictionary.com says that faith is belief that is not based on proof. So it's believing something even though you don't have the ability to prove it. And, and this can be pretty fun and harmless, like when we put our faith in a friend's recommendation and we experiment with an item on a menu at a restaurant that we've never been to. It can also be pretty dangerous and harmful, like when we put our faith in conspiracy theories and on the basis of this faith storm the Capitol building. From a worldly perspective, faith can be a fickle mistress. And yet, from a biblical perspective, faith is central to our understanding of God. For there is much that we do not understand about God, much that we cannot begin to fathom about God. There is much that has not been revealed to us. And so there is much that we need to take on faith. And so while we have the dictionary.com definition of faith that works in the worldly perspective, we have the biblical understanding of faith given to us in Hebrews 11.1, which reads, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. From a Christian perspective, from a biblical perspective, faith is trusting in God. It's trusting that God's word is true, trusting that God is who he says that he is, that he did what he says that he did, and that he will do what he says he will do. Faith is trusting that God has kept his word and that he will keep his promises. How do we get this faith? How do we receive it? In Romans 10, 17, we read, Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. How do we receive faith? It's given to us. It is given to us when we hear the message of the gospel. It's not something that we formulate. It's not something that we construct or build. In fact, Hebrews 12, in Hebrews 12, we read that Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. We are given faith by God when we hear the truth of the gospel. Faith is central to the Christian life, and we do nothing to create it for ourselves. Faith is not something we do. It is not something we maintain. It is something that we rest in. It has been given to us, and we rest in that gift as we praise and glorify the giver. It is by faith that we express the Apostles' Creed. It is by faith that we receive the elements of the Lord's Supper. It is by faith that we receive the benefits of all that Christ has done for us. For as we read in our text this morning, Paul writes that we are justified by faith and not works. So what does that mean? To be justified means that we have been made right before God. It means that our sin does not count against us. It means that we can have relationship with God. 
So often our, our plan, our goal, our understanding of God is that he is pleased with us when we do what he wants us to do. A common message about God's favor is that he is, in essence, Santa Claus. When you do good, he's happy with you. When you do bad, he's mad at you. And when he's happy with you, you get good things, which ultimately leads to heaven. And when he's mad at you, bad things are given, which ultimately leads to hell. And so from this perspective, it is our understanding that we need to do as much good as we can that we might earn our way into God's favor. And once we're there, once God is happy with us, once we've been saved, we need to keep doing good so that we can maintain God's favor. We see the fruit of this understanding of our relationship with God all over the place. It's in our movies, it's in our books, and yes, it comes from many of our pulpits. And we kind of like it, to a degree, because we're comfortable with it. It reflects what we know, it reflects our life's experiences. We do good, we get rewarded. We do bad, we get punished. We like it because we're used to an exchange of goods. I do this, you do that, we're square. But the truth is, as Paul writes in our text this morning, that if this is how we are justified before God, by an exchange of good or goods, us being good and God rewarding us, if this is how it happens, then Christ died for nothing. If there is any chance that we could be justified by our works, then there was no reason for Christ to come. We could do it ourselves. We could make it right ourselves, but we can't. We can't do it on our own. We don't have the ability to do it on our own. We are broken and sinful people, and that sin contaminates any good work that we do so that even our good works are offensive to God. That's why he sent Christ. That's why Jesus came, because God loves us so much that he wants to have a relationship with each and every one of us, but he couldn't do that because he can't have a relationship with sin. He's perfect. He can't be in relationship with imperfection. And so he sent Jesus, who lived a perfect life, and then took all of our imperfection upon himself and died for it, took all of the sin, all of the shame, all of the guilt, all of the stain that kept God from having the relationship with us that he wanted, and he died for it, paid the price for it. And in his death and resurrection, in our belief, our faith in our need in Christ's work, our clothes that are filthy with sin are taken from us, and we are given robes of righteousness. Christ's robes. And so in faith, the faith that we are given, we stand before God, not as guilty sinners, but as sons and daughters of the Most High. That is how we are justified. So any insinuation that we can be good enough, that we can earn God's favor, that we, by some measure, contribute to our salvation is an insult to Christ. He came and he suffered and he died and we're going to tell him that he didn't need to do all that because we've got it when we clearly don't have it. The insult to God in that thought process is mind-blowing and we get a clear picture of the wrath of the Lamb that we see in Isaiah. No, we need the work of Christ on our behalf. For it is only through receiving the benefit of Christ's work that we can be justified. And we receive the benefit through faith, so it is faith alone, faith by itself, not faith augmented by our works, our actions, our good intentions. No, it is faith alone that saves us. 
For you have been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. The works that we are called to do, we are called to do out of love for God. They are not salvific, but they bring Him glory and honor, and they are beneficial to us as well. God's instructions are not meant to keep us like little birds in His cage. No, they are given that we might be the sheep of His pasture, with freedom to roam and experience life, but that we might know which grass is good to eat and which ones will give us indigestion, that we might be safe from the wild animals that seek to destroy us, and that the shepherd might walk alongside us and share in our joy. But what happens when we stray? And we all stray, don't we? As we hear from the prophet in Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. We know it. God knows it. Sometimes it's hard to keep the faith. That time when we hold our children out at arm's length and they sit there peacefully, it vanishes almost overnight. As they get older and become more aware of their bodies and their balance in the world around them, as they understand pain and consequences for actions, as they get more knowledge about what it means to fall and how much it can hurt, they are suddenly unwilling to be held at arm's length any longer. Gone are the peaceful eyes and the gentle cooing, replaced by eyes that are bugging out of their heads and loud crying. The other day, I picked up Elijah, and I didn't even try to hold him out. I just put him on my shoulders. And you would think I was dangling over the edge of the Empire State Building. He had his hands wrapped around my head so tightly, he must have started to lose circulation, and, and he's just bawling. The absurdity of it caused me to start laughing, and then Elijah's little fingers found a better hold, and I got his little things up inside my teeth, like, he's like I'm, I'm not going anywhere, this is where I'm hanging out. The all-encompassing faith in his father was gone. He trusts me to hold him, yes, and he really likes that. The kid's a pretty big cuddler. I can carry him, I can play with him, I can tease him, I can tickle him, I can put him in a stroller and run at arguably unsafe speeds, and he'll be loving it. But if I put him above my head in any manner, his faith in my abilities is overcome, outweighed by his fear, and panic sets in. Are there areas, are there places in life where your faith is put to the test? Are there times when your faith breaks? Today is the two-year anniversary of the passing of my daughter, Ava. She was conceived with trisomy 18, a genetic disorder. If she'd been able to go full term, statistics say that she probably would have only lasted a few days, maybe, out, maybe hours outside of utero. We had a few months to digest the realities of our situation, the realities of the broken world that we live in, and the deep pains of never getting to know someone that you love so much. Shortly after she reached 21 weeks, she was stillborn. We prayed for healing. We prayed for God's intervention. And though we know that he has the power and the ability to save her, he is the great physician. Instead of healing her, he took her home. 
And that was hard. Sometimes life is really hard. And when it is hard, sometimes the flame of our candle of faith will flicker. Sometimes it'll go out. How are you doing with that? Are there things in life that are causing you to doubt God, to wonder about his love for you, to question if he's really good and loving and all-powerful? Does your faith waver at times? What happens when the candle goes out and I feel faithless? As I wrestled through my struggles during that difficult time, I was reminded of the story of Jesus healing the boy with the unclean spirit in Mark chapter 9. A father brings his son to Jesus, and the boy is possessed and has been from childhood. The demon takes him over and causes the boy to go into seizures and tries to harm him by throwing him into a fire to burn him or, or into water to drown him. So the father brings his afflicted son to Jesus and says, If you can do anything, please have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus responds, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cries out and says, I believe, help my unbelief. If we are relying on ourselves to keep the faith, then we are in a sense making, the faith, making faith another work. Keeping the faith becomes something that we must do. And yet here we have a wonderful example of a desperate man who knows the truth but is struggling in his sin to fully believe it. He cannot keep the faith on his own, and so he cries out to the one who can help him. Oh, how often do we find our voices joining in with the voice of this father? I believe. Help my unbelief. I know that your promises are true, God. Help me not, or help me to believe them. Help me to put my trust in them. Help me to keep the faith. And church, friends, that is exactly what Christ does. For as Dolores read for us this morning from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. Karen and I have been able to persevere in our relationship with God through the hard questions and harder answers. Not because we kept the faith, but because God kept us. Where our candles burned out, Christ's burned all the brighter. The pain that Karen and our family experienced two years ago still echoes into today and will be with us one way or another for the rest of our lives. And there are some of you, perhaps even many of you, who have been through harder things than we have experienced. And there are many twists and bends along the road of life yet to come. None of us knows what surprises, joys, and pains those twists and bends will hold. What we do know is that we have a God that walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. We know that we have a God that will never leave us, forsake us, or abandon us. And we know that though we may struggle in keeping the faith and always responding in the ways that we want to respond, though we may struggle and second-guess and have moments of doubt and insecurity, and those moments may stretch into periods of time, and we are ashamed to admit to that. Though we struggle with faith, our God does not. 
We are saved by faith alone, and when we doubt and question and struggle, we may wonder if our salvation rests in the flickering flame of our small candle of faith. When our doubts start to overwhelm us, and when our fears attack us, when we are tempted to listen to the lies of the enemy, let us remember that there is a difference between apostasy and doubt. There is a difference between denying Christ and being faithless. Again, 2 Timothy 2, 11 to 13, the saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. And if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Church, friends, Though there are times when faith is a struggle for us, it is never a struggle for God. Let us rest in that. Let us rest in Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let us rest in the one who is able. Let us rest in the one who loves us and died for us. Let us rest in the one who has forgiven us. When we struggle and doubt, let us rest in the one who strengthens our faith with his own. And when we are tempted to earn our place before God's throne, let us be reminded that we are saved by faith alone. Amen.